0: So this morning we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and we are closing out a series that uh, we've kind of walked through over the past couple of months, kind of bringing the pieces of who we are, the pieces of River Bend Church into focus. The last four weeks we have looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, faith, hope, and love. Abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And this morning, we are going to look at chapter 14. And so uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and I'm going to read for us the first 12 verses, and I want us to look at this topic words of action, or words for action, and we are going to look at four different words in these 12 verses that Paul writes to the church for action, and I believe that those are the words for River beend, for you and for me, and for us to be actively doing. So, 1 um, Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Before I read it, let me just tell you this. I know what the topic is going to be rolling around in your head as I read these verses. Uh, I, I've read it multiple times over the past three or four or five weeks, and, and I know what you're going to be thinking about, but, but it's really not about that. Okay, The reason that he wrote chapter 14 is not about what you think it's about. And I don't say that because I'm a preacher standing up on a platform and it's the sermon. But you're going to be thinking it's about speaking in tongues. And it's not about speaking in tongues. But we'll get to that before we end this morning. So here's what Paul says. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Pursue love, chapter 14, verse 1 says. "...pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies, he speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation." The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I, wanna, I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. That's, that's weird, isn't it? He says, I want everybody to speak in tongues, but even more I want you to prophesy. Now, how many are more than everybody? Verse 5. The one who prophesies... Is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Y'all seen that word built up like three times. There's some more. Verse six. Now, brothers. If I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, they do not have give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if a bugle gives an indistinct sound... Who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, How will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. And here's how he closes out the paragraph. So with yourselves... Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Father, will you honor the reading of your word and will you speak this morning to this, your body? I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Four words of action for River Bend. Four words this morning to you and to me for action. The first is this. If you look back in verse number one of chapter 14, it starts with this word. Here is the word. The word is pursue. Pursue love for us to be the church that God has called us to be. For us to be the individual Christian that God has called you and called me to be, there must be this word of action, pursue. What does it mean? The word pursue in the New Testament means this it means to pursue, to prosecute, to persecute, but also to pursue in a good sense. And that is the term or the way that Paul uses it here. He is saying that you and I are to pursue something in a good sense. He argues over and again that the church as a whole, he's writing to the church at Corinth, but God has given it and left it for us. So he's writing as the church today here, even at River Bend, he's arguing this. As a whole and for individual believers alike who make up the whole, that you and I are to run after, run to love. So what does that mean? Well, for us to do that... For us to understand that, you and I need to look back at what this definition that Paul gives of love. Look back up in chapter 13. It is called the love chapter. Love is patient, verse 4 states. Love is kind. Love does not envy or does not boast. It is not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not um, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things. And then the start of verse number 80 states this, that love never fails. It never ends. Paul is arguing for you and he's arguing for me that what is important here? Is love. And you and I are to pursue it. On your way in, the door this morning, hopefully you received a, a bulletin. I know two weeks ago I forgot to do that and I was in an airplane flying and, and you didn't have a bulletin, and I'm sorry about that. But but I printed those out this morning. And there's something at the top of the front side of the bulletin that you see every single week. I see it every single week. And it is just black ink on this white slip of paper. But it is there every single week. And it is the mission of Riverbend. And that statement says this, that Riverbend is falling in love. Falling in love with Jesus. That we're serving others and that we're living sent lives every single day. That we're falling in love with Jesus. What we are to be about, as Paul is stating to the folks at Corinth and he's stating to you and me, is this, that we are to pursue love. William Barclay had this to say about love. He said, the one unconquerable thing is love. When love is entered into, there comes into life a relationship against which the assaults of time are helpless and which transcends death. Love never ends. And that's exactly what Paul stated there in verse number 8 that it never ends. There are going to be some things that do end. Verse 8 continues there in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Prophecy, it's going to pass away. Tongues, they're going to cease. Knowledge, it too will pass away. But love never ends. And God has commanded you and he's commanded me to love. As Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I don't know what he was thinking, but I believe he had What Christ stated in the Gospels on his mind. You remember the two greatest commandments when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was? He responded to the Pharisee. Here's the greatest commandment to love God with everything that you've got. I mean everything. Heart, soul, mind, power, strength, everything that you have, love him. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And as Paul is defining, as he is describing love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I believe that he has that in mind. But here's what I fear. I fear that God has commanded us to love, to love Him first and to love others second. But my fear is that we love ourselves first. And sometimes, if it's easy, we love God. And if it's really easy... And if we're honest, if it helps us out, we'll love somebody else. And that's not love. That's not this word, love. God has commanded you, and He has commanded me to love. Some of you today find yourselves not falling in love with Jesus, you're just falling kind of like that commercial with the man or the woman that says I've fallen and I can't get up and they're calling life alert and that's where you find yourself and I get it I've been there multiple times over I've fallen and I don't know how to get out of this I don't know how to get up Lord and that's where you are today then uh, why don't you just jot something down. Turn over the backside of your bulletin and just jot something down. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. And as I was writing the sermon out, I I said this. Why don't you take some time this afternoon and and go and read John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. And then I scratched that out of the sermon because I knew this. If I tell you to go do something this afternoon, you're not going to do anything but look at the backside of your eyelids. And that's what I'm going to want to do this afternoon is look at the backside of my eyelid. So why don't we take just a moment to hear what Jesus said to us. He says, I am the true vine, verse one of John chapter 15. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch, every man, woman, boy, or girl who is mine, who's in me, who's accepted me as savior and lord of their lives, every branch in me, that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, God, takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it, that it can bear more fruit. Verse 3, Already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless It abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Check out verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And this last phrase, for apart from me you can do nothing. Apart from Christ, church, Apart from Christ, sir, ma'am, apart from Christ, it's not that you and I can just get by. It's not that you and I are okay to live our lives. No, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Zero. Zilch. So you and I, so River Bend today, you and I must pursue him. We must pursue love. We must fall in love with him today because love is a choice. And you and I are to choose love and pursue that. And I've got to hurry if I'm going to get to the other three. Second word. Not only are we to pursue, but the second word for us this morning is this. It is the word others. The word others. Toby Keith came up with a song. I want to talk about me. We talk about you, you, you usually, but I want to talk about me. And I think he was partly right. But it's mainly I want to talk about me, and maybe every now and then we'll talk about you, but I want to talk about me. But Christ says to you, and he says to me, and he says to us as a church, you and I are to pursue love, and we're to also be thinking about others. You're like, how do you get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Well, look at the two gifts that he talks about. The two gifts that he brings up there in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 are the gifts of tongues and the gifts of prophecy. The gifts of tongues. He said they're not going to do you any good whatsoever unless you have an interpreter. So if, if everybody is over there talking about Uh, talking in tongues, speaking in tongues, it is going to mean absolutely nothing. All it's going to do is build that person up. The year was 1994. I was sitting with 60-some-odd thousand pastors and staff in the Georgia Dome. It was promise keepers for ministers, and it was a a great time. I had just surrendered to the ministry, and my dad thought it would be great if I would go for the weekend. So... There was a whole bus of pastors from the area that went, and, and I was there. And, and I remember s- taking it all in as a 20-something-year-old. And, and I distinctly remember one moment, and somebody on the platform said, Hey, everybody listen. We're not going to have any speaking in tongues right now. And about 45 seconds later, somebody from the back on the floor just started running down the aisles yelling in something. It was not English. I don't know if it was a different language that was known or not known. But they were yelling, and the guy on stage, it was awesome. It's like he was Superman. He just said, stop. And the guy just stopped. And there was an empty chair right there, and he just sat down. He said, no, y'all didn't hear me. That was not of God. Because we stated this and that, and I mean, there was a hush. Kind of like right now. I don't know who the speakers were the rest of the time. I don't know what the topics were the rest of the time. But I'm telling you, I remember that. For this reason, Paul says this about the gift of tongues. All it's there for. If you're doing that, you're speaking not to men. You're not speaking to the church. You're speaking to God. And if that is continuing to happen, here's the argument that he's making. If that is continuing to happen, that's between you as an individual and God. But the greater gift out of those two is prophecy because you can sit there and you can talk and you can build up the church. If prophecy happens, if the gift of prophecy happens, then you are able to build up the church because you're able to speak of what God has done and what God is doing to build his body. So pursue that. Want that. Go after that. And in that, this aspect of others, because who's it for? Is it for me as an individual or is it for others? And as I was thinking about it, as I was thinking about it, Paul stated it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. Also, if anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got it more If you want to talk about self or if you want to talk about me or talk about you, I have far more confidence in the flesh because I was circumcised on the eighth day. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, I was a Pharisee, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of this church and as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. He knew about selfishness. And he writes to them in, as a church and he says, don't be selfish. Hey, Corinth, don't be selfish. Hey, hey River Bean, don't be selfish. If you're going to go after a, a gift, then go after this gift. Not that of something that would build you up as an individual, but something that would build up Others. Chapter earlier in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Seek the gifts that will not edify you, but that will help others, that will edify Christ and that will edify his bride. Seek to help others. And you and I need to call selfishness what it is. Sin. Let me give you three examples quickly of this. Selfishness. Sin. If I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many of you in the room don't do this? Do not raise your hand. Do not raise your hand. How many of you would say that you're selfish? Is selfishness a characteristic of you? Way too often, I believe selfishness is a characteristic of not just our culture, of not just the folks that live on Tanner Cove, of not just the folks that live at 34 Tanner Cove, but the person that I look at the mirror at every time I brush my teeth. Selfishness is sin. Isaiah chapter 14 states this, You said in your heart, speaking of Satan, Speaking of Satan, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God and I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the fear, excuse me, in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Did y'all hear the word I a lot? Satan is saying to himself, I'm going to do this. How did Satan tempt Eve in Genesis chapter 3? How did Satan come at Job in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2? He did both of those the same way that he comes at you and comes at me. And that when he tempts us, it's, hey, do you, you really? You don't really have to do that. Just, just cut a corner over here. Just make it about you for, for just a You need some veg time. You need some me time. When God said, don't do anything from selfish ambition." Don't do anything from conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Sin drives us to self, not others. God in His wisdom commands us to think of and to love others and to serve others. Pursue love. Serve others. Third word, very short. Excel. Look at verse number 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 12 states this so with yourselves since you are eager for manifestations of the spirit strive to excel excel what does it mean it means to be in excess to exceed in number or measure in the new testament it means this to be or have more than enough to be left over that which remains exceeding a number or measure which marks fullness. And here's my favorite description of this word to superabound, to abound richly in. Here, Paul is challenging the church. He's challenging you and me as God is challenging us today. He says, Strive to excel, work to superabound in something. Put some sweat equity. Into what? Into the fourth word. You and I are to excel, not in selfishness, not in the pursuit of our happiness, but to excel in building up the church. Verse number 12 states, excel in building up the church. Two times in the passage, Paul uses the word to build up. Back in verse number 3 and here in verse number 12. And there are a couple of other times that he uses a different um, just form of that word there in verse number 4 and also in verse number 5, I believe. To build up. What does it mean to build up? Here's how Peter puts it in 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, As you come to him, a living stone But you, church, you, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Church, you and I are different than the world. You and I are to be built up. We're living stones being built up. The foundation, the cornerstone, is that of Christ himself. And we are being built up on that foundation as a body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is stating that you and I are to excel in building one another up. The church. So many times I have, I have joked that I have the spiritual gift of discouragement. And that's so wrong. You and I are to have the spiritual gift of encouragement. We're not to be tearing people down. We're to be building each other up. As I close the message, let me say a couple of things. One, about the tongues and prophecy and the, gift that, the gifts that are spoken of. To understand the gifts of tongues and the gifts of prophecy. The gift of knowledge there in chapter 13 and 14. You have to understand this. Every single Christian... When they're saved, are given at least one spiritual gift. There was a time when God gave the Spirit, John chapter 14, John chapter 16, He gave the Spirit another helper like Jesus. In the same way that Jesus was a helper, He gave the Holy Spirit to His believers. And the Holy Spirit came and indwelled in us. And it was a gift. He was a gift, not it. But then he gave spiritual gifts. Not only the gift of the Spirit, but he gave spiritual gifts. There are a number of places in Scripture where there is a list of these gifts. And none of those places are exhaustive. And I would even argue, and greater men than I, would argue as well that even all of those lists put together are not an exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts that God gives his people. But speaking of these two specifically, tongues and prophecy, look there in, verse, in chapter 13, verse 8. Let me read it for you again. It says this, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. So the gifts of prophecy and the gifts of knowledge will pass away. And the gifts of tongues, they will cease. So here's the question at 1106 on Sunday, October the 1st, 2017. Have they passed away or have they ceased? It's a good question. I don't know if the answer has been given for either of those two. But I do know this. There's a difference between something passing away and something ceasing. Ceasing and passing away are two different verbs. Ceasing and passing away, in this statement, in this statement of ceasing and passing away, passing away is something that does no longer exist, and ceasing is something that is taking away. It is a middle or an indicative, and it's not Greek class, I understand it. But you and I need to wrestle with this for at least just a moment. Tongues will cease. In his commentary, John MacArthur has argued it this way. He stated that there were three distinct segments of time, Old Testament and New Testament alike, where tongues happened. And all of them happened within about a 40 to 60-year period in itself. So 40 to 60 years, segment one, 40 to 60 years, segment two, 40 to 60 years, segment three. When these things happened. And then it was taken away. It ceased. And his argument is that it has ceased now. That at the end of the church of the first century, it had already ceased. The last time as New Testament is being written is this. In Acts chapter 26, there was an episode of tongues. And then that was probably A.D. 65. 465 then there was 30 years between that time and when the book of revelation which was the last book to be written and it had already stopped prophecy knowledge and other gifts they will pass away what does that mean one day you are going to stand in front of god you're going to stand in front of jesus i'm going to stand in front of jesus we're going to see him face to face And when that happens, you will no longer need to be told, hey, here's what God said. Because you're going to see. You're no longer going to have the the need for the spiritual gift of knowledge because you're going to see Him face to face. And when that occurs, the need for that spiritual gift will pass away. Three weeks ago, I got an email. Three weeks ago, I got an email, and uh, this lady said, hey, we're new to the area. Are you a church that believes in the spiritual gifts? Are you a church that believes in this and that of the spiritual gifts? And I knew what she was asking. And I responded, and as I was responding to the email, I wrote a sentence out, and I was like, no, that's probably misleading. Delete. Write the sentence out again. No, that's probably misleading. So, what is River Bean? And I had to stop, and I was like, all right, what is River Bean? Are we a church that believes in the spiritual gifts? Yes. Are we a church? Do I believe that we are a church that believes that spiritual gifts still are present today? Yes, because God is still working in and through you and me today. Are we a church that is going to be driven by these items? And I said to the lady, no. She said, well, we're still looking. I know there's a church out there. She responded back to me. I said, I know there's a church out there. We hadn't found it in DeSoto County yet, but I know that it's there because we believe that the spiritual gifts of tongues, and she went on to explain herself. The focus of River Bend Church, the focus... Of us as individuals. Is not in the gift. The focus for us must be in the one who gives the gift. Today as the message comes to a close. My prayer has been this and it will continue to be this. Not that I have opened God's word or that I have preached his word to you today. Not just that. But that because God's Word has been opened today and because God's Word has been proclaimed today, you, the church, Riverbend has been built up. You have been washed with the Word. You have been encouraged for today and for future days for the task ahead. You have been shown some action point that you can now take action on so that you too might pursue and excel and build up others and the life of Riverbend. Why? Because he's worthy. If you get nothing else out of today, may you and I understand this, that the one who gives gifts, that the one who gave his son, that the one who gave his spirit to you and to me is worthy of everything, of every moment of your week, of every desire that you might have, he is worthy. So be the church today. Sir, be the church today. Ma'am, put in some sweat equity with others. Sir, die to self. Brian, die to self today and allow him to live Pursue love. Serve others. excel, and build up the body. Heavenly Father, Lord, on one hand, it seems that it was just scattered all over the map. But Father, I know, God, I know, Lord, that That you can take what seems scattered. You can take what seems to be no order whatsoever, to be just out there, and God to speak. Lord, may I not put bounds or boundaries on you, Father. May Riverbend not put you in a box and say that you, God that you have to respond or act in this way. But Father, might we, might we, your sons and your daughters, Lord, might we understand. Lord, this is how you've spoken in the past. This is how you've acted in the past. This is what you've done for your people. God, we trust. We trust you. Father, may we pursue spiritual gifts because you have given us gifts. God, may we use the gifts that you have given, whatever they might be, to edify you and your body because that's why you gave the gift. It wasn't for me that you gave the gift. It was for your body. Father, might the men and women, might the, the boys and girls who know you, Lord, might we know the gift that you've given us. Might we use it to build your church? God, I love you. Lord, I thank you for your son. What a gift you gave me. What a gift you gave us in him. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for loving us and taking our place. Might our lives a response back to you of the love and devotion that we have. We ask it in your name.